0: This episode of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. And I want to give a special thank you to Michael Fenton, who just signed up this week to support us on Patreon. All right, so now let's get to our show.
1: Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr
0: Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 395 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show we'll be discussing the new live-action Star Wars series The Mandalorian, created by Jon Favreau. And this will involve spoilers for all of season one, so just be aware of that. And I'm joined by three guests. So first up, we've got Erin Lindsay making her 17th appearance on the show. She's the author of the Rose Gallagher series of historical mysteries from Minotaur, the Bloodbound series of epic fantasy novels from Ace, and the Nicholas Lenoir series of paranormal detective novels from Rock, which she writes under the name Yale Tetensor. Her latest Rose Gallagher mystery, A Golden Grave, is out now. So Erin, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Always happy to be here.
0: The next up, we've got Raj Ankana, making his 14th appearance on the show. He's the author of the post-apocalyptic novels Falling Sky, Rising Tide, and Raining Fire. And his short fiction appears in magazines such as Lightspeed, Shimmer, and Beneath Ceaseless Skies. His articles have appeared on Tor.com and LitReactor.com. So, Raj, welcome to the show.
2: Thanks for having me back.
0: And also joining us today is Matthew Kressel, making his 9th appearance on the show. He's the author of the novel King of Shards, and his short story The Last Novelist, or A Dead Lizard in the Yard, was nominated for the Nebula Award and was a finalist for the Eugene Foster Memorial Award. His new novel Queen of Static is available now on his Patreon page over at patreon.com slash Matt Kressel. So Matt, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Thanks for having me back. All right. And so I'm just a little curious, Matt, about uh, it's in your bio that you're serializing your second novel Queen of
3: Static over on Patreon. So uh, what made you decide to do that? Um, because it's exactly 52 chapters, and I can do one a week, and then it... No, that's not... <laughs> uh, um, it just so happened to turn out that it was 52 chapters, which I was like, huh, that's interesting. Um, well, it's it's kind of a long, convoluted story, but basically, um, you know, a lot of people have been asking me uh, for the sequel of King of Shards for a long time, and... Um, I've had some publisher interest, but it's everyone's sort of dragging their feet, and I was like, you know what, this book's out. I mean, it's it's finished. It's been edited. You know, it's been copy edited, Um, and you know, I just wanted to try out a Patreon and see see what that experience would be like. I have um, several author friends who have Patreons, and it seems to work well for them. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to try it and see what happens. And then I'm going to release it as as a trade paperback when it's all done.
0: Yeah, it's got cover art and everything. I mean, it really looks nice. Mm -hmm.
3: Yeah, the cover artist, uh, is Leon Tucker. And, uh, we first found him, uh, um, on, um, Deviant Art back with King of Shards. And he was just starting out as a, as a graphic artist, uh, as a concept artist. And, uh, we just asked him and he, you know, he gave us the, the first cover for, uh, very, very inexpensively. Uh, if you look now, he has exploded. He's just, uh, like doing, everything, everywhere. And he's just huge and big. And I was like, oh, that's really cool that I got to uh, get two covers from him, uh, you know, for, for my book. Uh, I'm not sure now that I would be able to afford his <laughs> rates.
0: So uh, is there a certain amount of money people have to pledge to be able to read your chapters?
3: Yeah, it's two, it's two bucks a month, uh, two bucks a month, uh, and you get a chapter every two weeks. You also get, uh, excerpts of stories, uh, that I'm working on. Um, if I'm gonna release any ebooks in that period of, uh, short stories, you're gonna get free copies of that. Uh, and also you get a free copy of King of Shards as well. So, uh, you know, and I'm gonna be doing regular blog posts about writing, um, about my experience, um, editing Sybil's Garage. I, I uh, co-host the fantastic fiction reading series. So basically, um, talking about my quote-unquote writing life.
0: Yeah, that sounds really cool. So everyone, again, you go check that out over at patreon.com slash Matt Kressel. And uh, I wanted to talk about that because I'm always really interested in people doing, you know, experimenting with different business opportunities and writing and things like that. And also because I'm just sort of delaying because I don't want to bring up rise of this the rise of Skywalker, um, but <laughs> uh, I think I ha- I, I kind of have to because you know so so going into the show the Mandalorian this is coming right on the heels of the the feature film the rise of Skywalker which I always say is rise of the Skywalker it's a, kind of a thing I have but um, anyway the rise
3: of Skywalker which
0: uh, I just thought was junk. Um, and so I, don't I want... just
3: want to say right up front that I haven't seen it yet because I know it's oh my God, you haven't seen it but uh, it's just been a cu- busy couple of weeks uh, with my wife and I were dealing with some family stuff and we I haven't seen it. but if you need to spoil it, I won't be upset.
0: No I'm not planning to have any spoilers um but I'm just sort of curious I'm just curious if anyone thought it wasn't junk I'd be I'd be curious to hear your thoughts
1: <laughs> Justify why it's not junk
0: Yeah did you what did you, did you think it was junk Aaron or or not?
1: I don't know if I would go that far, but uh, it was certainly disappointing. Um, I read somewhere, somebody said it looked like something that had been written by AI, and I really <laughs> agree. Um, oh, man. I kind of uh, I remember having the, the reaction in The Force Awakens that certain elements of it, it looked like somebody had taken the original trilogy, cut it into little pieces, thrown it in the air, and then glued it back together um, in a different order. But it was in a different order that largely worked, for me anyway. Um, and this was like the same methodology, only it was, it didn't work at all. And it just, yeah, it's, it's a shame because I think the broad strokes, the the big storytelling choices were, um, if, even if I didn't always agree with them, I thought that they were interesting storytelling choices, but it was just all the little things that they got so wrong so many times over that it was just so frustrating.
0: Yeah. Raj, what'd you think?
2: So, this is going to be a little controversial maybe but the, the first time i saw it i've seen it twice the first time i saw it in the theater i was actually i actually enjoyed it like i i it finished and i thought oh that was that was decent and i think i was relieved that it wasn't terrible or i didn't feel like it was terrible i think for me some of the previous movies had moments where i literally like winced as i was watching them and this one at least the first time through i didn't i didn't have that reaction and so it, it felt like it was better in many ways. And th- I agree that there were some, you know, the, the broad stroke decisions I think worked for me for, for a lot of it. I saw it again. And then I started seeing what people were talking about in terms of the criticism and how, how it doesn't kind of hold up. And I will say that it's not a movie that I see myself going back to anytime soon. Like it's not one I, I want to watch again and again, like some of the other ones that I've seen. Um, but I think a part of it for me is that, I think having been watching Star Wars movies for over 40 years now, I've learned – like, I've developed a a way to create my own story in my head as I'm watching these movies. And and that probably started even back as – far back as Return of the Jedi, which I also have some issues with. So from then on through the prequels and through everything that came afterwards, I think I take the things on the screen that work for me. And then I kind of in my head go, well, that's not really what they did there. They did something else. And so I, I am able to enjoy stuff by like soft focusing parts of these movies and, um, kind of inventing my own extra, I don't know, extra justification for things or whatever. So, I, and I think that's, that's almost like, this is going to sound ridiculous, but like a survival mechanism for me to maintain my enjoyment <laughs> of the, of the whole thing, um, without just getting annoyed and frustrated and angry. So, um, but I can definitely see a lot of the criticisms. And I, I don't, I look at the new movies and I think that they're in a different category. So, I, you know, sure, they're Star Wars, but they're not like, they don't touch me in the same way that, that the original movies did though I still think they're better than the prequels. So, but just to go back to the Mandalorian, like the fact that we have things like that coming out and we've wrapped up this nine movie saga is kind of like a relief for me. Like I, I like that they've at least for the moment, put a capstone on that, that story that's been dragging on for a while. I, I, my, my biggest feeling of, of this movie is just relief that we're done with it too, which is not, it's not a, um, <laughs> I guess that's not a, a compliment to the series, but it, You know, I've been following this stuff for for most of my life, and so it's nice to just kind of be free of it in a way.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I could see you enjoying them. I could see people enjoying the movie. I mean, but I, I just, I was just sort of bored. I thought it was just predictable, and, you know, it sort of undid in my mind everything interesting that Ryan Johnson tried to do in The Last Jedi and just substituted really safe choices, and, you know. There
1: was definitely some walking back.
0: Yeah. So yeah. so I mean um so yeah so I was pretty yeah I was just bored overall.
1: And that's a shame too because I I feel like um I will never know no one would ever admit it one way or the other but to what degree those decisions that were walked back um to what degree they were walked back as a result of fan backlash and I think that that would be a really d- disturbing precedent that we're essentially crowdsourcing um, storytelling at this point, particularly when the crowd in question, some of the most vocal elements of it are just, you know, toxic and wrong headed. And there's no defending speaking of storytelling choices. There's no defending what they did with the character of Rose, for example, they tried to defend it. It was a weak defense. Um, and although I do believe that they, they didn't consciously do it as, as a way of um, they didn't sideline that character in a, in an overt effort to please the trolls. That I do believe. I, I can't believe how tone deaf they were in in the choices that they made and making it look like and essentially handing a a victory to, to the trolls. Um, and I think walking back some of the um, the Last Jedi kind of has the same effect. And that for me is the most frustrating part of it is that the things that they got the most wrong were some of the things that are hardest to understand why they got wrong because they were all fairly low hanging fruit in terms of you know just. Decisions and and uh, and dialogue and things like that. But that being said, I, I totally agree with you, Raj. That I think we lived in a different time um, when the when the original trilogy came out. We weren't nearly collectively as critical as we are now. And I kind of mourn that innocence to a degree. Um, you know, we're walking out of the theater, and my brother's going on about bad acting. I'm like, okay, but are we going <laughs> to come in, ro- rock up on, in movie number nine, and start talking about bad acting in Star Wars because? <laughs> That's, you know, at this point, that's just, if there weren't bad acting, it, you, it wouldn't be a real Star Wars movie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. All right. So, I mean, um, I don't want to leave Matt out of this conversation and I promise no spoilers. And I, I don't know if I have a lot more to say about the movie without getting into spoilers. Um, I, th- I think some of the fan stuff we can maybe will maybe come back as we talk about The Mandalorian. But um, but so let's get into that. So um, so there's this new show, The Mandalorian. It's the first live action Star Wars TV show or TV series ever. And in order to watch it, you have to subscribe to Disney Plus, which is Disney's new streaming service. And this is sort of the, you know, they have all the Marvel movies and all the old Disney movies and everything, the Pixar movies. But, but the main inducement to sign up for Disney Plus, at least initially, is this show, The Mandalorian. And I mentioned that it's, uh, it was created by John Favreau, who directed Iron Man and Iron Man 2. And um, this guy Dave Filoni, who I think is sort of the showrunner of the Star Wars animated series, like uh, Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff like that, um, I think was was basically his partner um, in creating this. Um, and so, uh, so Matt, what did you kind of uh, think going into the Mandalorian?
3: Uh, you know, I, I was I was optimistic going in. You know, I had been kind of disappointed by the recent movies um so i was going in slightly skeptical but also you know john favreau i know like i like his films i think he's a good director so i was going in hoping that like i've always felt that with the star wars films especially the later ones is that they're trying to cram too much story into these two two and a half hour plots and i thought that the tv medium offers the time to really explore a character and i thought wow you could really take some time in the star wars universe because there's so much there like there's so much culture every planet the species all this stuff and i wanted to see that explored i wanted to um kind of go on a, a a tour of this world in a sense and i i really wanted to take some time with a character and have them be developed so i i was i was optimistic going in but in the back of my head, I'm like, "Oh boy, I hope this isn't going to be like, <laughs> you know, uh, just thrown together and kind of a, a hodgepodge." Like I felt some of the the movies were. Yeah. Um, well, well, yeah. Well, so um,
0: I mean, I was just I just went back and listened to a little bit of our solo movie panel that all three mm-hmm. of all, all three of you guys were panelists on, and uh, that's one of the things that was one of our big takeaways from the solo movie was that they were just trying to cover too much stuff in this feature yeah. film format and and we were saying you know really uh the han solo story seems like it would be tailor-made for television so uh i don't know maybe they listened to that and uh yeah that's probably it um but your so how about... in the mail <laughs> so how about raj uh, what kind of yeah what, what what were you sort of expecting out of the mandalorian
2: i mean to be honest i think i was cautiously optimistic i think mandalorians in general and the star wars lore are one of my favorite things like when growing up boba fett was my favorite character and then you know they're they're detailed a little bit more in i think clone wars and and rebels and things like that but i've always just loved that design and you know learning more about their culture and you know why they wear that armor and all that kind of stuff so i think i was definitely cautiously optimistic that that was the topic of this and i tried not to watch or read about too much, um, before I saw it. But, uh, you know, the stills that I saw and that the, the, you know, the art design and set design or whatever, um, all looked great. So I was hoping that it was going to be good. Um, but I really went into it kind of blindly hoping that it would, I, I, I guess I've learned with star Wars too, just to keep my expectations as low as possible so that I'm more pleasantly surprised than, than horribly disappointed.
0: Yeah, so I'm actually, I'm sitting here with my, uh, my Boba Fett alarm clock and my Boba Fett <laughs> mugs and all this, th- you know, because, because he was definitely my favorite action figure. You know, when I was a kid, I had all the Star Wars action figures and I always had Boba Fett was always the star of my little, you know, games. Uh, even though we didn't actually have, uh, Empire Strikes Back on VHS, we only had the original Star Wars. And so, uh, you know, I had only the vaguest, memory of of the character from the actual movies but i just love the action figure so much and you know he just did all sorts yeah you, you could sort of see you know he had the jetpack and the grappling hook and stuff and so uh yeah i mean there's there's definitely an appeal to that character um how about aaron uh any thoughts on boba fett or your expectations going into the mandalorian
1: i mean i have all kinds of thoughts on boba fett i have a boba fett keychain <laughs> um I, I'm still still not quite over the way Boba Fett ends his career. I think yeah, that's I totally disappointing. Um, I think l- my my approach going in was was largely the same as the others: cautious optimism. Um, I think there there were a lot of reasons to be hopeful that the series would explore some corners of the Star Wars universe that we hadn't really poked our noses into yet. Lots of opportunities for world building that, particularly when you're taking such a fast and furious narrative driven approach to the feature films. There's not a lot of time for world building in there. Um, and so it, it seemed like there was potentially a lot of uh, material to explore. So I liked that idea. I also deliberately didn't follow the sort of breathless anticipation online so that I didn't have much in the way of expectations going in or, or foreknowledge. um There were certainly some names ex- attached to the project that excited me. Um, somehow or another, I did not come across Pedro Pascal's name. Um, so that was a surprise. I spent the first two episodes going, who is that? (laughs) I know that guy. Um, so yeah, so that was a pleasant surprise, but you know, that I knew that, um, of course, John Favreau was attached to it and I really liked what he did with the Iron Man movies. Um, and I've liked some of his other non-comic book, uh, directorial forays. So, um, Uh, I was excited about that Uh, love Taika Waititi everything that he does is hilarious and so I really loved what he did with Ragnarok which is I think my favorite MCU film so I was I was excited and I had uh, a sort of a conscious choice to control my expectations but I was excited for sure
0: Mm. and so uh, so Matt did you feel like so so you went in sort of cautiously optimistic so what was your impression of the first uh, first episode or two
3: uh, I love the first two episodes. The first two episodes, um, I got so excited that I made my friends watch them as well because they were sort of skeptical. Um, and I was like, "You need to watch this. This is really good." Um, I, I the first episode clearly is playing off of tropes. You know, they're playing off. You know, the the stranger comes to town. You know, the gunslinger. A lot of uh, I, I there's a Clint Eastwood trope in there. You know. Um, and, but I like that, I you know, I'm like, okay, you know, I get it. We're, we're starting off with a new character. We don't know his personality. You have to play off tropes a little bit. You have to go with stereotypes and then you, you slowly develop a character that, you know, individuates him. So, so I thought it was cool. It, you know, um, it had everything that I wanted in, in a Star Wars TV show, you know, it had like, um, you know, the, the lore, like, uh, you know, it had the, like, the, the, the CD bar. It had the, the, uh, the land speeder. It had, like, the monsters, the spaceships. Um, you know, and, and the mystery, like the, the, the baby Yoda mystery, I thought was, um, was quite cool. The droid. Uh, so, so the, the first two episodes really got me excited. Uh, then I saw the rest of the series, but, Uh, yeah, like, like the Jawas, I thought it was like, that was the first time we really ever, well, we see the Jawas in, in, uh, you know, A New Hope, the, the episode four, but I feel like we got to know them a little bit more in this, in episode two. And that was cool. And, and like a little bit of their culture and, you know, I was like, oh, well, that's, that's what a TV series can do. It can explore things a little bit more. Um, where I, I think the show started to falter was, okay, with... Wait, well, let's, let's, let's say okay, that. Right, for... all, right. <laughs> <laughs> all
0: right. So, so, but you like that. Yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, I actually, um, you know, my, uh, my parents were visiting for the holidays and so I watched the show with my dad and it was really bringing back memories of watching like the adventures of Briscoe County junior with, with my dad, which I don't actually don't remember the show that well. Uh, it's, it's a Western, I think it's sort of a weird Western or steampunk Western or something, but, uh, I just vividly remember the, the feeling of watching that show with my dad and and this really brought back those memories because it does have as you're saying this this very distinct western um you know old west kind of vibe to it uh and i know raj you're a huge fan of of old west kind of stuff right so did you uh did that did you connect with that in this show
2: i definitely did um yeah that 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 love was documented on this podcast actually previously so um yeah so a friend of mine had actually told me that that it was very western and so i was excited about that but the the way that they nailed that vibe um I think really worked for me. And as Matt said, it's a tropey kind of thing, but one of the things I've always wanted to see from the star Wars universe is them tackling other genres, like not just space opera, but Western thriller, you know, spy stuff, whatever. And I think, I, I think the universe is deep enough and broad enough to, to handle that. And so to see this um Western feel worked really well for me. I loved how Pedro Pascal plays the character, Um, also my love for Pedro Pascal, I think is also documented on this program, um, from when we did prospect, but yeah, yeah, I think, uh, everything about the tone felt right. And I agree that the first two episodes, I, I didn't have time to go back and rewatch the whole thing, but I will rewatch the first episode and it's really strong. And part of it is the feel and part of it is the attention they paid to the detail of creating, you know, these little mini worlds from week to week. It feels very Star Wars. And I think they went back to evoke kind of an original trilogy feel. Obviously, this takes place just after, I guess, Return of the Jedi. But, um, you know, you see familiar aliens and droids and, you know, the little talking, I don't know, doorbell droid or whatever that comes out, you know, is very familiar. And, and all of that, I thought, was really great because that's what I want to see. I want to see this being this shared universe that exists in different places. But I also really enjoyed the scale, the fact that we're not talking about the fate of the universe, we're not talking about, um, you know, Jedi and the Sith and the Force and all this kind of stuff. It's really about this guy and and his job and his personal life and, you know, this, a much smaller scale, which felt really refreshing to me.
0: Yeah, and I totally agree about the tone, really capturing the tone of the original trilogy. And to me, even capturing the tone very specifically of A New Hope, like I almost feel like the tone of this, this feels more like A New Hope to me, even then... Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, just in terms of the sort of like, I don't know, more sort of fun, simple, innocent, you know, as you say, like not the, the forces, just sort of a seasoning rather than the main dish. Um, and so, yeah, I thought I thought it did a really great job of, of capturing what it felt like for me to watch A New Hope in my grandma's basement uh, as, as a kid. Um, but so uh, so, yeah, so I went into this. I actually went into this with fairly low expectations just because the Star Wars stuff has been so uneven um and then uh you know i had all the baby yoda stuff totally spoiled for i didn't get a chance to watch this right away so like you know i'd already seen like two weeks of baby yoda you know memes by the time i actually got around to watching the show um and then also i had low expectations because like aaron told me that she hated it um
1: <laughs> so, so speaking kind of, of spoilers that was kind of a giant
0: yeah. uh giant buzzkill for me um <laughs> But so so so, Aaron. So uh, yeah. So you said that you you emailed me. You'd watched like like three episodes, I think, and you're like, I'm not I'm not into this. So what what was going on there?
1: I didn't hate it. I was very much in a, a sort of a meh space. Um, I, which I never fully emerged out of. Um, I, I think my overall comment on the series is that it was highly uneven for me. Um, I've I found my enjoyment of episode to episode varied enormously. Um, and you know we can talk about that in more detail when we go into specific episodes but um yeah i i was underwhelmed i liked the first episode quite a bit um and then i was underwhelmed by the, the next handful and i think part of it is because um i am a passionate lover of westerns um i just wrote a western by the way which was fun i highly recommend it <laughs> um gets gets all your you could you could, ju-
0: you could say the title all your
1: yahoos you know. uh i don't know uh, but thanks.
0: <laughs> I guess you couldn't say the title. <laughs> anymore.
1: It's that, it's that recently that, uh, that I, so I, am like fully in a Western frame of mind. Um, and I think that that was an obvious choice and the right choice when you're telling the story of a bounty hunter. Um, it works really well. And, and as we saw with Logan, um, the intersection between a comic book hero, and, um, and, or, you know, a spec fic hero and a, and a Western work, works really well or can work really well, but it, yeah, my, I guess my disappointment was twofold. One, um, if you're going to do a sci-fi Western, like a space opera Western, uh, I kept unconsciously in my head, I think, comparing it to Firefly and not flatteringly. I thought that the storytelling again, obviously uh, fairly uneven, but um, I thought that the storytelling in Firefly was largely more enjoyable to me for a few different reasons. And one of them is that they just took a much less obvious approach. Um, so so yes, there are a lot of tropes in Westerns that we expect, but you don't have to present them in such an unadulterated fashion. And I would have liked for things to be a little less obvious than they were. I kind of felt like every beat of the story was totally predictable. Um, <laughs> they're just... And there was of necessity not enough character depth to kind of make up for that. Um, which is, you know, it's nobody's fault. Your, your main character doesn't say much and he's behind a mask that he refuses to take off. So there's only so much that you can do with that in terms of character development. And I thought they did as well as they could have under those conditions, but I just thought it was really obvious. And I, I wanted, I wanted more exploration. I wanted more. I thought they could have gone further with the Jawas or gone further with um, some of those elements. And I also thought that they were quite clunky about certain things. Like, for example, th- some of the early flashback scenes of, of the Mandalorian's traumatic childhood, I thought was so overdone and so clumsy.
3: Yeah. Um, hmm.
1: And it just, All it right. just could have been better. And the music was so bombastic. And I was like, this is just letting the side down.
0: All right. Well, let, let so, me jump in there. So, I'll just say, like, I freaking love this show. I love every episode. I love everything about it. So, <laughs> I may be the main defender of this on the panel, unless, uh, let's see, Ra- I guess Matt says, he- we sort of went downhill from him- for him. Raj, do you do you think you like this less than I do?
2: Possible. I, I mean, it- it's a weird thing because I love, I love the show. I agree that there were a few episodes in the middle that didn't completely work for me. But, I guess, as a series and one that's coming back that we've heard now, um, I, I see a lot of promise in it. And I feel like, you know, if they correct some of the things, it can be really great. But I, I, I will rewatch this all the way through again and probably again. I just love what they're doing. I think, I, I, again, because I'm, I'm tired of the whole movie saga, I think this gives me a lot of, I mean, for, for lack of a better term a new hope <laughs> for the for the universe and, and for the star wars um you know media empire so i don't know it's it's a weird thing where i can see the criticism but i do enjoy the show and i enjoy the approach they're taking but you probably do like it more than i do
0: i mean it's it's interesting it sounds like part of aaron's issue was just that she's so familiar with the tropes of westerns that this came, came across to her as sort of tired uh, i'm not that i'm not that into westerns so maybe that didn't bug me as much but raj you are really into westerns so uh if you liked it maybe maybe that hypothesis doesn't doesn't explain a whole lot but um i mean
2: i i'm never i, I don't think there're ever enough westerns for me <laughs> so um and and again star wars western i mean you know there're western elements in the original trilogy definitely but just it didn't bother me that they were leaning really hard into it and, and actually you know, I think it hit the right buttons for me. Like, it felt comforting and and reassuring. And I think they did a lot of work, at least for me, in putting a lot of those details in that, that evoked Star Wars that I felt like it just worked. I don't know.
0: Yeah, and I, I'll I'll note that, you know, this is currently 94% on Rotten Tomatoes. And although, you know, when I asked uh, our Facebook listeners what they thought, everyone was just really, really excited about it. So, I mean, you know, definitely it works for... A lot of people um, And can I
1: just say on the flip side, like the kind of the direct opposite of, of what Raj said is like uh, as many issues as I had with it, um, I also can see how people are excited about it and I certainly came away with the feeling that once they find their feet, which I think they started to toward the end of the season, I came away optimistic that season two will be better and exciting.
0: Well so, so matt, you said you liked the first couple episodes and then it went downhill for you like what what was at what point did you start? did it kind of lose you?
3: Well, you know, like I said, the first two episodes are playing off of tropes and and I think they need to do that to just kind of draw you in, but I wanted them to develop it further and i and I really felt that they you know, the Mandalorian is just he's just a cipher and that you get tiny little glimpses of who he is. But every time they give you a glimpse, it's a cliche. I've never shown my face to anyone. And and those flashbacks, it was the same thing over and over again. And it didn't really add anything to it. So he's an orphan. He's been raised by the Mandalorians. Who is he? What are his values? What does he think? Does he have any great desires? Like, I, I never got any of that. Um, and that, but, to me, was, I mean, was do the you, biggest.
0: Do you ever really know anything about Clint Eastwood in any of those West? Well,
3: in in um, what's the, what's the I'm blanking on the name of it. There's the Unforgiven. Um, thank you. The Unforgiven. It's two hours or an hour and a half, so you can sort of uh, project your own personality onto him in that hour and a half. But when you have eight episodes. Like, so I projected what I thought the Mandalorian was in the first two episodes, but by the fourth, fifth, sixth, I'm like, okay, you know, I need more. Just enough, like, tell me what he wants, tell me what, like, I'll give you an example. When he drops off Baby Yoda, you know, I didn't really get any sense of, like, does he have remorse for dropping off this kid? Um, you know, does he have feelings about, you know... Potentially handing over a baby to its death—like I—I didn't get a sense of that. And then, yes, obviously he turns around, and we all know that's what's going to happen. But I didn't—I didn't get a sense.
0: I felt like I could tell from the look on his face that he
1: was. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. At least as much as you could ever tell from the look on Clint's face. No, Eastwood's but no, face. I thought he was
0: well, clearly conflicted about handing the baby over. Yeah. I don't know.
1: Well, if I- he
3: was conflicted, but again, it was—it's—it's it's a little. I, I just wanted more from from his character than they they revealed. And I think towards the last two episodes or so we get a little bit of that. Um my favorite character in all of this is Queel, the guy that was voiced by Nick Nolte, you know, I have spoken. <laughs> um because he has the most complete character development. He was he was a slave for the empire. He said he worked several human lifetimes. Uh, to, to buy his freedom, he, you know, he's, he just wants to be a moisture farmer on this far off planet, but he's willing to help the Mandalorian because he's so tired of all these other, uh, bounty hunters disturbing his peace. Like, I, I was like, oh, this, and then, you know, so when he dies at the end of the last episode, I was really sad because I was like, oh man, that was, he was the most fully developed character for me. And he was just killed. So. He was very expensive. <laughs> to, oh yeah! Right. To, to Between produce,
1: the CG I'm and the puppet sure. and the voice actor, I'm sure, I imagine I'm sure. he was quite pricey.
3: Right. Right. Um, so you know, and and you know the the episode. Uh, what, what was it called? The uh, sanctuary where they go to that you know forest planet, and there's a Imperial Walker. Um,
1: Ooh.
3: <laughs> yeah, and and so that whole uh, episode. Reminded me of every other 80s and 90s science fiction TV shows. It was very much like a Stargate episode. Probably the every episode of Stargate, it was like, you know, they, they come to these, like, people who are living a simple life and they have to defend them against the, uh, you know, the, 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 um, the evil mercenaries living outside. And, and, um, you know, like Magnificent Seven, they were playing again, off these tropes. Oh, we're gonna, you know, um, Protect the village. We're going to give them guns and teach them how to fight. And, and, and I was like, you know, I've, I've seen this plot a thousand times and it wasn't interesting to me at all. And, and, you know, w- we knew that he was never going to stay there like that. <laughs> it wasn't, so it was never, yeah. uh, it was never a thought to me that that would happen. And, you know, there was one moment, this kind of tender moment, I don't remember the the woman's name, where he's like, I never take off my mask for anyone. And you, you sort of sense that, oh, he might have taken it off for her. And that would have, it it would have been more interesting to me to, you know, explore that tension a little bit, where it was just sort of like, it was put there for a second and then dropped. And I get it. It was trying to show that, you know, he's more faithful to his culture than than anything else that's his most important thing
0: well let me let me pick up on that because i um i actually i'll qualify i didn't actually love the um the 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 sort of farmers um i i I agree with you I, i thought that was um they just they just seemed like sort of yeah like helpless townspeople out of central casting and i didn't understand why they were fishing with like bowls in the star wars universe it seems like they should have but they
3: had droids they had droids to help so why don't they just program the droids to fish
0: yeah so so i i I actually didn't love that but i I think it's interesting because what this show is doing is it's not it's sort of like a um like conscious repudiation of everything all the advances that tv storytelling has made in the last 20 years or so you know i mean it, it doesn't have you know it's sort of like It does remind me of the adventures of Briscoe County Jr. As I said, I mean, it's, uh, particularly in the middle, it gets very episodic and it's just, it's simple and straightforward. And the characters are, are fairly straightforward and it's just fun. And, um, you know, I I think a lot of your reaction to it is going to be whether you find that return to a, like a simpler era of television to be, uh, sort of refreshing and nostalgic or just uh kind of retrograde uh and a step backward Can,
3: i just want to talk about one of my favorite parts it was i i'm not sure if it was the last episode or the second to last when the two stormtroopers are like trying to shoot at, <laughs> you know, oh god yeah they're shooting at the target and they're like oh do you want to look at the, it's the, at the
1: best the, scene the, in the whole show
3: <laughs> the best scene and, and i was like why because it's it's First of all they talk exactly like the stormtroopers do in, in in the original trilogy and they're just so dopey and it's funny but it's also really dark at the same time cuz they're just like basically <laughs> punching a baby um and and I just was like yeah like if this show not that I want more punching babies but <laughs> if this if this show uh really kind of captures that in the second season that sort of playfulness but also there's like a, a sinister element there because that was what always star was was right the evil force coming and and you know the heroes coming to save it so I, I i just think like that tone for me was was probably my favorite moment
1: okay i have so much to say but can i just say on that one point that was precisely the moment where i hit pause and looked up who directed that episode because i was like there's something categorically different about this episode and that's when i came across the name and i was like of course I, I, if I were a betting woman, I would put large amounts of cash on the fact that that whole scene was a, a Taika Waititi moment. Like, it's just classic. That's what he brings. Um, and, you know, John Favreau also has a good sense of humor. So, you know, and I think he wrote that episode. But I, I actually, I just felt something was qualitatively different right at that moment.
3: Um, yeah, you- I it's a great scene. Uh, do you?
0: I mean, you said you have a lot of stuff to say. Actually, how about uh, let's get Raj in here, and then we can come back to Aaron. But so, Raj, do you have anything? Uh, where do you come down on this? Uh,
2: yeah. Uh, well, this one thing. thing I want to go back to the sanctuary episode is—is is I agree that like the minute we open up on that 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 village, it felt like. Farscape. It felt like, you know, a a lot of other things I saw, I've seen before. And, um, I think that, you know, like you can even go back to like Battlestar Galactica for that general plot. But one one thing I wanted to mention is, is, um, Matt mentioned the Magnificent Seven, but one thing we haven't brought up is I think there are, we we talked about the Western stuff, but there are these Japanese roots in this show as well. So the Magnificent Seven building off of Seven Samurai, which is what that episode kind of was. Um, and you know, with the Mandalorian and Baby Yoda, you have a really strong lone wolf and cub thing there, um, which I think harkens back to the fact that Star Wars was heavily influenced by Hidden Fortress and, and stuff like that. So I think I like the fact that it's melding these influences that were. Yeah, could could you expl-
0: What is lone wolf and cub? Is that a specific reference or?
2: Yeah, so it's a Japanese. I, I think it started as a manga, but um I, I don't really know all the history, which I feel ashamed of but um it's basically this this samurai and uh a young girl um that go around and go on adventures and things like that um and so it's it's the classic i think reference for you know adult and child you know have adventures together so i think that's i i really liked that that parallel there um because it's such a weird and interesting thing um, but the other thing I wanted to say is I, I agree that that episode didn't really live up to what had previously been shown or, or what comes at the end. But I really like the fact that the big bad, the big, you know, you know, thing that was so difficult and, and dangerous was just an ATST walker, which we've seen many times before, and, you know, Ewoks are able to kill them with two logs, but, like, on this scale, it's something that's devastating, and it takes, you know, this big effort to kind of bring it down, which I appreciated. I liked seeing yeah. this smaller thing. I liked that they introduced the character of Kara Dune in that episode. Um, I think, for me, the weakest episode was the one where they go back to Tatooine, and even though I appreciated all the different references there, um, you know, we get to see the cantina, I just really didn't like the plot. I thought it was so simplistic. It was a really short episode. I think it was like 35 minutes. And so I feel like there's, there was this, it, it was the episode that felt the most like filler. And I think they were like relying on Tatooine to carry a lot of the work for us to be like, oh, cool. He's back in a place that we recognize. And then otherwise it was pretty simplistic, like young bounty hunter, you know, trying to get one up on him. And like at the end, he, he doesn't succeed. To, To me, that was a really weak episode and, and probably didn't deserve to be there um and although i it, felt
1: about the whole thing yeah like the, just exactly what you said is that they were relying too much on like i would what i would be i mean again unprovable hypothesis but i'd be very curious to, to know how the reactions would be if you stripped away all this familiar star wars stuff and just set this in a completely fresh science fiction world whether hmm. people would be nearly as excited about it and i would suggest the answer is a, is an emphatic no and precisely because of that, I think they're relying too much on the gimmick of it being Star Wars and us being excited about hearing Jawa say U-T-D, and us being excited about, um, you know, going into Moss Eisley Cantina and all this kind of stuff without really doing the work.
0: Well, but I feel like, like, like The Rise of Skywalker, it was just like, hey, remember everything you loved about Star Wars? Here it all is in one movie. And that didn't move me at all. So, like it's not just the fact that it's Star Wars that's that's working for people. Uh, you no, know, no, anyway. I mean,
1: I, I don't mean to go that far with it. I'm suggesting that they're relying too heavily on it, and that it it's getting them across the finish line in some cases, where that's not you know what you should be relying on. And and I did say that I had a bunch of other stuff to say, but I also cut off Raj. So sorry about that. Oh
2: no, it's okay. I mean, I I think I think that's a good point. I I, I really wonder if the 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 whole thing the whole show was rushed in a way because I feel like, you know, it felt so inconsistent that they had to like come up with maybe episodes really quickly. And we're like, let's stick these three in the middle. Um, And they seem a diversion from the overall plot thread, which I think is the more compelling part. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I, I still like it.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And, and, and I still, I really liked the last two episodes quite a bit. And as I said, I came away feeling optimistic, but I, I wanted to go back to something that Dave said before. I think there's a difference between being simple and being superficial. Um, and you can have a, a very simple overall construction and, and do it well. And I think that the number one criticism I have of this show is it has no narrative patience. So moments Great, that should land emotionally don't. Because they didn't do the work to build up to that moment. And, and the, I can't remember, was it Matt who talked about the scene where the woman wants to take off the helmet? Yeah. That scene had zero impact for me because I never believed for a moment he was going to take off the helmet because I never right. believed for a moment there was a real relationship between those characters because hmm. they didn't do the work. They had to, I mean, that's a moment that they should have been building toward over several episodes if they wanted it to mean anything. And there were so many examples of that. Like, for example, um, I, I don't know that I ever knew her name, but the the blacksmith character. Yeah, um, she's
0: just called the armorer, I think.
1: In episode one or two, she hooks up the Mandalorian with this extra special missile set, and she's like, "These are these are amazing. Use them wisely, if if at all." And then he literally uses them like forty five seconds later. <laughs> And same with the jetpack. She gives him the jetpack and she's like, This will only obey your commands after years of training. And 45 seconds later, he's blasting around on the jetpack. And I'm like, Where's the narrative yeah. patience on this? Like, these are moments that you should be building toward. And my final point to go back to the example of unforgiven Clint Eastwood is a great example, Dave, because he's got this inscrutable face. And you ask whether we ever really understand him. I would argue that you understand him way better. Because not only does the movie give you some backstory at the beginning, they have the device of the younger gunslinger who's wide-eyed and has all these questions that, you know, Clint, when forced, laconically explains his motivations or his choices for for A or B. You get so much more from that character right from the jump. And I actually thought when they went to Tatooine and they got this younger guy, that maybe he was going to play that role, that he was going to have that role of the, of the, the foil where we actually started to hear a little bit what was going on behind that mask and they, they didn't do it.
0: All right. But I I feel like comparing this to Unforgiven is a little unfair because Unforgiven is the best Western that I'm familiar with. (laughs) And it's, it's also um, like consciously sort of a subversion slash commentary on traditional Western movies. And it's like, you know, if you take all these familiar elements from westerns, but here's what it would really be like in the real world, where it's gritty and crappy, and and people are are, are real people and everything, and uh, and I think it's great, but like it relies on your knowledge of all these other westerns that were more superficial, to use your word. Um, and I mean, it would be great if they made like the unfor- you know, the 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 Mandalorian Unforgiven. But, uh, I mean, that's a pretty ambitious goal. And And, I'm I'm,
1: not suggesting that. I'm really not. You know,
0: I'm I'm happy just to have the, like, Spaghetti Western Mandalorian. Um, You know, but it's not high art or anything. But it's, you know, incredibly fun entertainment uh, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, Matt, what do you think?
3: So, I feel like... The show, as others have said, has started to get its legs in the last couple episodes. I agree; like the, the middle, the middle few episodes really uh, dipped a lot for me. Um, the The uh, Tatooine episode, I didn't, I didn't hate, and I think, um, jumping off what Aaron said, I, it probably was because we. We went back to Tatooine. I'm like, Oh, cool. Tatooine. Oh, look. It's the Moss Isley, you know, cantina. And then it was like the wool was pulled over my eyes. And then when it was over, I was like, Well, that was kind of an empty episode. Uh, for me, I thought that the weakest storytelling episode was The Prisoner. Um, where I just thought well, we introduced all these other characters. They show up and then they just vanish. Um, they, they also, I find that in the, in the series that they do these, these weird things with plot that that, like, so I see this a lot in, in bad storytelling where it's like the storyteller wants a specific thing to happen. So they manipulate the reality of the world to make that happen. And in the prisoner example, it's this, this stupid beacon. Can I curse on this show? Yeah. Fucking beacon. (laughs) And it's like, Oh, well, if you press this beacon, then, then, you know, uh, X wings come and blow you up. And I'm like,
1: that was the worst.
3: I'm like, okay, I guess that's the thing. But then it's like, oh, so you could just take that beacon and put it anywhere? And then the TIE t- fighter, I mean, the X-Wings come in, they're just like, well, that's the beacon. I guess we should blow it up. <laughs> I mean, I, I just like, wait, what, like, what reality is this in? These, just, these guys... It, just,
1: even on the prison. Like, like who are these yeah. guys? This, this is the Republic that we fought for. They're like, oh, somebody pushed a button. We better blow up everybody. No we questions better blow asked. It up.
3: We better <laughs> blow it up. And then you know why is this prison ship not traveling at hyperspace why is it traveling like through space at a slow speed like i, I don't get that it, it, so i don't know there there was just weird really weird stupid plot choices like in the especially in the last two episodes even though i enjoyed them it was like well we know it's a trap and we know you know uh grieve is 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 um we know grief, grief carga is, is, uh, you know, probably gonna betray us, but let's just put the baby, let's just give him the baby and let's just walk into town when we know everybody is like, you know, that all these bounty hunters and, and the remnants of the empire are trying to find this baby. Let's just walk in there and, and not only walk in there, but let's put, you know, my only defense in handcuffs. I mean, it was just like, it was this stupid decision on, like, by any reckoning, that they did just because they needed to have a, they needed to have baby Yoda there. They needed to have all the characters there in the town at that moment to have that big fight scene. And then, um, and, and uh, Giancarlo Esposito show up. Right. So they, you know, so I, I just found at times that I was really frustrated with the storytelling.
1: And can we spend some time please with Moff Gideon?
3: Wait,
0: wait if this is good, I feel like this is getting too negative so I'm gonna inf- I'm gonna enforce forced positivity.
1: I was just gonna say like that Giancarlo Esposito is one of my favorite television actors. He's played one of the most chilling television villains of all time. So they have some great raw clay to work with there. Um, and so clearly their intentions with this series, at least I think so were just to introduce him and let us know that he exists. And presumably he's a recurring big bad in the next season, which is one of the reasons that I'm excited. But one of the things that makes Giancarlo Esposito so amazing is he's such a subtle actor. So how you, how you really get the best out of a subtle actor in a black cape, in a Darth Vader outfit is going to be, you know, surrounded by stormtroopers. It's about as subtle as a sledgehammer. So how, how you blend these two things, it's going to be really interesting to watch.
3: So, I, I really liked his character. Uh, actually, he was he was the highlight of that. And I also uh, didn't mention that IG Eleven, the the um, bounty hunter droid, um, both before and after the reprogramming, was one of the highlights of this.
2: I feel like Taika Atiti should do like the majority of the voice acting work for CGI characters moving forward because yeah. he's so good.
0: Yeah. Well, so 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 Raj, in our solo panel, you actually said you would like to see a show with like. um What's the lizard guy? Boz? Boss. Awesome. And uh IG eighty eight. So did did this uh, did this uh, scratch that itch for you? That you Yeah, I mean
2: I I've always wanted kind of more of a bounty hunter, scum and villainy type focus, and so I think that was great. Like, you know, it, it, it harkens back to the Han shoot's first era of Star Wars where, you know, there's a point at which the Mandalorian, who I guess his name's Din Djarin, right? Um right he disintegrates a, a couple Jawas I think just right <laughs> off the bat and you know nothing much is made of it he doesn't feel super guilty or whatever and I kind of liked that idea um, of, of focus you know it doesn't all have to be apologized for and turned into a big moral thing because that's not what this show is about um, and we know he does have morals and you know he feels bad about you know he goes and rescues Baby Yoda and so on um, well
0: actually let me say I mean and also he shoots IG88 or sorry IG11 in the head, you know right basically he shoots him in the back basically, you know in a very like you know Han shoots first kind of thing and again, yeah. Yeah, and there's no no going back and CGIing it to make it you know less uh, ruthless and everything you know actually, I actually hadn't thought about that, but that's yeah, it's a really good good point
2: it's funny you mentioned Bosk because I was talking with some friends about, you know, what we would like to see in season two. And I think I read something that they're going to try to, they're, they're planning to put in more references to, um, you know, stuff that we know. So I'd love to see Bosk show up in this show since, you know, there's not really any information about what he w- did after he shows up in Empire Strikes Back. As far as I'm aware, maybe he showed up in the books or something, but, um, it would be cool to see something like that. That would actually make me quite happy. Um, but yeah, I, I love seeing the IG robot. And you know, we we see IG eighty eight in Empire Strikes Back in basically one tiny scene. You know, the camera pans and you see him standing there. And I know IG eighty eight has popped up in a lot of the expanded universe stuff. But just watching that robot or droid, sorry, droid, um, you know, arms spinning around and head and shooting all those guys in that, that episode I thought was really kind of fun. Um, and also shows, you know, that character shows the Mandalorian's arc about droids, which I agree is very simplistic. Like, I don't like droids because droids kill my family. And then, but it's at the end, so
1: obvious.
2: <laughs> but, um, and I'll agree that those flashbacks were a bit laborious and just kept coming back in the same way. Um, and, but I, I, I'm starting to come down on the side that I think that they were, they were rushed to get this show out because of Disney plus coming out and they wanted to have this around the time of the movies maybe or whatever. And so they, I, I agree with Matt that there, there are a lot of shortcuts and weird manipulations, but I still, I'll still go back and watch it. And I think I'll still enjoy it for what it is. Um, even though I do recognize that there, there are some of those things there. Uh, but yeah, I think cause it's just fun for me to watch
0: actually speaking of shortcuts and weird manipulations i just want to mention i just read an article about this which i thought was interesting but so you know in most of the movies when the actors are acting against a digital background it's just a green screen right and so in this one they had an actual they had actual screens showing the scenery huh. right that they filmed pe- people in front of and oh, they, yeah
3: just i just read that uh, yeah Go and, ahead, and
0: yeah. so they actually built those environments in the unreal engine you know the video game engine what wow. i understand and um and then the lighting matches better and then the actors like they kind of know like oh this if they're looking out to the horizon they know where the horizon is they're not just staring at a green screen and having to guess um and and then it's a lot cheaper obviously too um and so I just I don't know I thought that was interesting because because I mean you know the show does seem to have um yeah employed some uh you know up-by-your-bootstraps kind of tricks and stuff to it's sort of a scrappy underdog kind of show i mean i think it had a huge budget but compared to uh you know the rise of skywalker or something uh, i think this show is definitely punching above its weight um but so aaron if you were forced to say anything nice about this show which <laughs> is in fact the situation that you find yourself in oh uh, wh- what would those be
1: <laughs> I have said a lot of nice things about the show. You just aren't listening. You're just focusing on the negative things that I'm saying. <laughs> there are lots of things that I liked about the show. I could go on for months about Pedro Pascal, although largely not on the strength of this show <laughs> because you don't get much of him. Um, but you know, he, he does perfectly with, with the voice acting for this. Um, is this really him under the suit? I, I mean, yeah. I, assume, I assume
2: part of the time he has a stand in that, that
1: has got to be a tough does gig. it?
2: Like the, the episode sanctuary. I think that's the one. He he's not in that at all, actually, except for his voice. So.
1: Oh, really? Okay. Anyway, um, I thought that honestly, they I think they must have a, a pretty pretty generous budget because by and large the special effects are really impressive. Um, I thought the Ugnaut was a uh, really impressive quill. Um, I thought Baby Yoda was super cute. I have mixed feelings on Baby Yoda overall, but I kind of understand why they went that route, and um, and and I liked it. I liked the last two episodes a lot. The stormtrooper scene was awesome. I think that they really do have a good platform to build from. I just wish they had a little bit more narrative patience. Um, and I also feel like if, if you're going to do the rando episodes where you have, for example, the prisoner, which has no obvious connection to the, the overall story arc. I quite like that. And I think it makes good sense in the overall scheme of we're kind of doing a Western Um, but then those are the moments where maybe you could have a little bit more fun with it and, um, be a little bit less obvious with it. So, and, and again, I go back to Firefly as an example of this, where, um, if you're going to have those kind of, I, I hesitate to call them filler episodes, but those sort of interstitial spaces that, that aren't necessarily connected to the bigger ones, then I, I think they need to be comparatively stronger as a cohesive whole on their own. They need to be a great short story. If they're not a chapter in the novel, they need to be a great short story. And I and I think that's possibly why those middle episodes seem to sag more than the others. So, I would kind of like to see more emphasis. I'd like to do more of those um those poking your noses into other corners of the of the galaxy that we haven't seen before, maybe a little with a little hint of what we have seen before. And I think they have a lot of potential to do that well.
0: I guess one thing I'll say for the show is that I feel like, I mean, you talk about it sagging, which I, I mean, I, I think that that was a pretty common um, critical response was that the middle episodes weren't as strong. But I feel like one thing I really appreciated about the show is that it's eight episodes. You know, the episodes are fairly short. You know, it's it's not like there's not a lot of pointless subplots. I'm not sure there are any subplots. I'm trying to think, you know, like it, within and within the individual episodes um and so uh, i enjoy i felt like the pace was was pretty snappy myself and that you know it was it was like yeah it was like um reading a comic book or something you know like you get in you get out you have fun and it doesn't overstay its welcome
3: are we in mando's point of view all eight episodes i think we are like we never we never show anyone else's character like there's not
0: a scene that he's not in right right unless i'm forgetting something
1: I think one of the things that I have a question about, um, I, I, if you guys have seen, so my my Star Wars exposure um, is the the feature films by and large. I read the books. Were they the expanded universe books? I don't know what you call the ones that came out in the nineties. Yeah. I read those, but I haven't read any of the newer books. I, I haven't seen any of the of the animated series. So I didn't have a lot of backstory on Mandalorians, um, and while. You know, I've been talking about narrative patients, so I'm certainly there for getting information in dribs and drabs. I felt like we didn't get enough about Mandalorian culture in general. I think there seemed to be an assumption that maybe some viewers knew more than they did or that it wasn't important. And I would kind of question either of those decisions. But I personally felt like I just had a lot of questions that I would have liked to see a, a little bit more of that particularly if you're using it to kind of fill in some blanks about this largely inscrutable main character that you have. So I'm just wondering, is that something that comes out quite a bit more in the animated series?
2: Um, I don't know if anyone else has watched. I've watched Clone Wars and Rebels. So uh, they, they talk about Mandalorians and the the planet that they come from and sort of the history during the Clone War era. Um, and then there's a little bit that comes after that. I, I think the purge that they're referring to Unless I'm mistaken, is not covered in the, uh, the, the animated shows. So it's something that is, looks like the Imperials, the, the Empire did something to Mandalore after, um, both of those series where, where it looks like they basically demolished the whole culture in some ways. Um, yeah, so. They took
3: their steel, right? They took their Beskar steel and used it for spaceships.
2: Yeah. So. Well, I, I don't. Yeah. I don't remember what the explanation was, but Beskar, I I think there've been references to things like that in the past, but this show has been, you know, a lot of the details that they added in here about, you know, the armor and, and this is the way and all that kind of stuff I think is, is new information that, that hasn't been covered before that the only thing that's been covered in detail uh, to my knowledge. And I, again, I'm not, I don't have a categoric, um, you know, recall of, of everything that I've watched over the years, but um, is the Darksaber, which is the thing that appears at the very end of the last episode.
1: Oh, is that what that is? Yeah. I was wondering... That was a Mandalorian
3: weapon, right?
2: It was a light, it's basically a lightsaber, but it, it, there was one Mandalorian who became a Jedi called, uh, Tarvisla, I think his name is. And he created, that was his, his lightsaber. It was called the Darksaber. It was like black instead and kind of crackly, like a, right. a oh, looks more like a katana. And so, Basically, that was his weapon and then the Jedi kept it after he died and then it became and then the Mandalorian stole it back and it became the symbol of of the Mandalore who's like the leader of, of the Mandalorians, basically, that they're kind of president or ruler or whatever. Um, so, and I think the last time it was seen was in the Rebels animated series where it was given to the person who was going to become the new leader. Of, of Mandalore, but that was the last time. So I think what they're trying to imply is that this guy, uh, Moff, what was his name again? I forgot. Moff Gideon. I Moff, think it's Gideon. Gideon? Gideon.
0: Yeah.
2: yeah Gideon, who basically, you know, who was around during the purge, kind of stole it from the Mandalorians.
0: Yeah. So. Let me say, cause there's kind of an interesting story that I heard Dave Filoni tell about how the dark saber came about when I don't remember all the details and I haven't watched any of the animated show. So I, uh, it wouldn't mean a lot of that wouldn't mean a lot to me, but there was some fight that they had choreographed. For for one of these things, and it, they had some weapon. You know, someone was going to be fighting a Jedi with some weapon. And uh, George Lucas saw it and he was like, "No, a lightsaber would cut right through this weapon. You got to change this." And they're like, "You know, we already like I don't know, like you know, choreographed it and rigged it, and it's we're all set to go." Like, and so um, sort so George Lucas was like, "All right, well, hold on, we'll we'll come up with something." And so he came back. He's like, "All right, we're changing this to a this new thing I just came up with called a dark saber, <laughs> and a lightsaber <laughs> won't cut through a dark saber." Um, and then you know all this mythology has grown up around it, but that's how it—the that, origin was to like address this problem because they had already done this scene.
1: That's how you do all your quality writing—you you retrofit <laughs> from from a from a corner that you've painted yourself into. But I'm curious to, to figure out how the whole Clone Wars and uh, Boba Fett and Django Fett and all of that how they fit into this lore.
2: I mean, it's, th- it's, yeah, it's a kind that, of a
1: square peg in a round hole at the moment. It's,
2: so as far as I've been able to tell, Django Fett, who, you know, Boba Fett is his clone slash son. Um, the, I, I believe the current understanding is that he is, isn't actually Mandalorian, but that he has Mandalorian armor. Um, which I'm not sure the exact, you know, canon so level of this whole thing,
0: but, you know, in and they scavenged it from some Mandalorian who I guess or who was killed or something. Yeah,
2: but but this show sets up the fact that you know there. I, I would assume it did, it wasn't just after the purge that there's this history of taking in people from other places as foundlings and raising them in the way. So you know maybe they'll try to link that together in some way. Um, I I hope that there's some reference to Boba Fett in the series just because it seems like there would have to be being like the only other significant Mandalorian that, that people know of. Um, I mean, some, I've heard some people say that the, the legs that we see at the end of the Tatooine episode, um, they think that that's him, but
0: that's I guess so we'll I, so I thought it's that still was still supposed right? to be Moff Gideon. Yeah. Um, I mean, but there's, there's a, just one of some of these YouTube videos I watched, you can actually see Boba Fett in the background of one of the shots when they're in the, um, the hall of the Mandalorians or whatever. Like really, really, it's really, really in the background and really, really dark. But if you like freeze it and zoom in, it's him. But it might just but be. But he's it, dead you know, at this point, like, right? Nobody's ever dead in Star Wars. I mean, they brought the the Emperor back, so. You know.
1: <laughs> that, that's true. Spoiler. Uh, well, kind of, not really. I guess it's from the last. It's in the trailer. Right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, they're gonna have to do it. I mean, Boba Fett is essentially the 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 OG from which all of this is built, right? And so the timeline confuses me too, because all of that business around the Clone Wars is way before.
2: Yeah. So yeah,
1: yeah I'm just.
2: But I think definitely I th-
1: uh, holding my breath on how they're going to fit all of these pieces together.
2: Yeah, the timeline is interesting because it seems like the Mandalorian character Din Jarin or whatever he lived through. I, you know, at least when he was a kid, he lived through part of the tail end of the Clone Wars because his family was killed by those super battle droids or whatever. So, um, you know, he's lived through at least part of that, you know, before A New Hope era. Um, and this, I don't, Dave, do you know how long this takes place after Return of the Jedi? Because that's uh, where
0: I think five, I think it said five years. Okay. Uh, so
2: Boba yeah. Fett, you know, goes into the Sarlacc five years previously. Um, you know, I think there's all He's kinds of ways you still can
1: being digested,
2: or you know, he could have gotten <laughs> out in some way, or somebody rescues him, or whatever, and so he could be kicking around.
1: Oh, um, that'd be so lame. Well,
0: I, I never read any of these, but I've heard that in the comics or something, he like fires his jetpack and gets out of the sarlacc. Yeah, um, and and then he goes has all sorts of other adventures. So there is sort of you know precedent for that. Uh, I also so. think
2: that that a lot of the characters we saw, who, as Matt said, you know, we see in one episode and then. They're just kind of gone at the end. I think we're going to see them, or at least some of them, come back in the next um, season. I think a lot of this was setting up future threads, or at least I hope that's the case, because I do think that there's a lot that still needs to be um, explored with with some of yeah, that stuff. I was
0: yeah. definitely assuming Bill Burr was going to come back. Um, yeah, because you see those you see those characters, you know, in the prison cell at the end.
2: And, and Ming Na Wen, who was in it basically for like all of a minute and a half, um, and then dies. She's the bounty hunter on Tatooine, uh, not the young one, the, the one that they're chasing. Um, you know, it seemed like a criminal underuse of, of somebody like that. But I've, I've talked to people who, you know, think for sure she's coming back, especially since, you know, there was that, that kind of coda at the end where, you know, she could have been, I suppose, rescued and thrown into a back to tank or something like that. Maybe like
0: resurrected with dark. If that was, um, Moff Gideon, she could have been resurrected with some sort of evil force magic. Do we think we're, force do you think healing. he has the force?
1: Can we talk about well, force he healing for the, a second?
0: Oh, uh, well, that's, a, I was just assuming since he had the lightsaber type thing that he was a force user. Could be. I guess they didn't establish that necessarily, but yeah, Aaron, go ahead.
1: I'm just, I, I've been trying to, to, to think whether. So the the only instances of force healing that I can remember are Actually wait this... wait let
0: me, let me let me sorry let me add okay and an, another um, point in favor of him being a, a force user is that he's really really interested in getting his hands on baby Yoda. True. Right? And it mm-hmm, seems like mm-hmm. th- that there's got to be a connection there.
1: Yeah. Um so not to bring the movies back into it but, but I think one of the things that the, this uh a, Consistent criticism of the more recent trilogy, which I think is valid, is that there's people doing all sorts of things with the Force that we've never seen people do with the Force before. Um, and, and just incredibly powerful things, even by the standards of what they were able to do in the first movies. I can't remember Force healing being a thing until it was suddenly just a huge thing in the latest movie. And then Baby Yoda does the Force healing in this show. That, for me, that seemed to come up out of nowhere. But is there precedent for that that I've forgotten?
2: There definitely has been in, in some of the expanded universe stuff. And, and I, I'm a big fan of there being other applications for the force that we haven't seen. Um, I agree that it probably would have come up previously. It should have come up previously because, you know, during the clone wars, for example, if somebody gets hurt. You, you, you should have seen a Jedi being like this. Okay. I got you. Um,
1: it's gotta be consistent in universe. Like if you're yeah. able to solve these, problems, and they may with have a wave actually. of your hand, if you can grab a spaceship, with the force and move it around then but
2: that's been established i would say because size matters not right you can lift a starship to to a
1: degree but there is still a shocking lack of consistency in how these abilities are dealt with in terms of solving narrative problems
0: but the thing is like that's been true like ever since a new hope right like every power that gets introduced in star wars was introduced to solve, you know, for a specific scene to, you know, create a specific dramatic moment in that scene, and there's never been any overall plan for what the forest can do. Also, Luke never got consistent.
2: Luke never got his full training because obviously he was impatient and couldn't stick around with Yoda. And Obi Wan died. That's why it
0: so.
1: worked. That's right. why it worked. Is we had a frame in which the neophyte was our main character, so our main character didn't know much more about it than we did. And so we were all learning together as we went along so you could accept that these things were happening that, that people believed couldn't possibly exist. So, yeah, so I mean I think I would argue it worked in the earlier films in a way that's getting harder and harder to justify.
0: I just agree with Raj. Once Yoda says size matters not, like anything is possible. Like so if, if you want to talk about the force jumping the shark, like It jumped the shark in Empire Strikes Back, as far as I'm concerned. It jumped the But (laughs) I also feel like, I feel
2: like for me, the force, you know, we know that the force is, is part of the, you know, the life of the universe and moves through all living creatures. And so using the force to help accelerate healing or heal somebody or give them life energy or whatever, to me makes perfect sense in what we know about the force. I agree that it's weird that we haven't seen a lot of it before and suddenly we're seeing a lot of it now. But to me, that's, um, that's something that's in keeping, you know, we have, you have the kind of, if you're going to look at the force, which I don't like to do as a polar thing where you have light and dark, if dark can be used to damage, then light should be able to be used to heal. You know, they should be both two sides of the same coin in my, in my mind. Um, I'm more interested in how this 50 year old baby um, knows how to do this stuff intuitively, because that's something that, you know, I'm wondering what they're going for here. Is it that, you know, this species of, of alien just intuitively taps into the force. And that's a really weird thing to think about. Um, or, you know, other They've people... Got have got lots
0: of midichlorians in their blood rage. Or, or you know,
2: is it a clone? Is it is it something like that? You know, I, I don't know. We haven't gotten into I the think, Baby Yoda well, thing.
0: I, I think it's 100% a clone because um, the scientist has a insignia on his shoulder, which is the same as the people who clones the clone army. Right. In, mm. uh, the second, in episode two. Um, but I, I want to get Matt in here. Matt, do you have anything you want to add? Cause we haven't gotten back to you for a while. I
3: want to say that 50 years as a baby, that's a lot of diapers to change. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, that's a huge commitment, right? As an adult, you know, you're like, do you want to have a kid? I don't know. 75 years of, of changing a diaper and then he doesn't go to college until he's 200
1: and we never get one scene of the mandalorian struggling with a baby what do i feed it what do i do with this like it's just that was the thing it was just like
3: yeah yeah get the baby, get it get the baby yoda some bone broth he'll be fine and it's like he he is fine but it's it's yeah exactly i was like well it's it's a baby like right i mean is it what does it eat i mean i guess it eats lizards right (laughs) um (laughs) which was great by the way like this cute little thing just devouring that that lizard i thought that was cool.
0: but i i think that like one thing is that they they were really smart was to not overuse baby yoda like i think yeah. you know he he's used very sparingly and i think that if you used him much more than they did it would get pretty ridiculous from my point yeah. of view
3: as far as the force healing goes i think it's true with with any magical system because the force is essentially a type of magic is that there has to be consequences it can't be you can't uh maybe not consequences but it can't be unlimited uh so if you can just heal someone and then that's it uh then to me that wouldn't work but if it seems to me that when baby yoda uh healed uh grief karga that uh he passed out right because right. he got yeah. exa- and every time he every used time the force, he, uses he seems he seems to pass out and and so maybe if they if they showed a little bit more of that like oh he's really weak why is he so weak oh well, he's using the force you know too much or something you know he's over overextended himself um yeah i mean that, that that didn't really bother me so much um
1: yeah it didn't bother me at all i just um and particularly cuz had just seen it in the in the last film it's clearly part of the lore and and it makes sense that the force could be used that way i just i'm confused about how it's popping up now and it hasn't ever come up before
3: yeah Well, there's a lot of internal consistency problems in the, in the series as a whole. I mean, in the whole, like, canon be, uh, you know, in the movies specifically where, you know, when the first few movies, it takes, you know, days or at least hours to travel to another star system. And then in, in like Rogue One, it takes minutes. So it just was like, well, um, yeah, I don't know how that works with the, with what you've established, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm willing to overlook a lot of these inconsistencies if the story is good. And for the most part, I think, you know, w- you know, episode by episode, some of the stories really worked. And if people said, would you recommend watching it? i say, absolutely. I think, I think it's fun. It's Star Wars universe. People don't go into Star Wars, you know, expecting, you know, the, the type of, um, depth of something like Breaking Bad or, or The Wire. You know, we know it's going to be fun. It's going to be, you know, uh, adventure. Um, but at the same time, I felt that, you know, I thought that they could have done a lot more character development, uh, with the Mandalorian specifically, uh, and the, and the lore.
0: Well, let me say to, it occurs to me too, that, I mean, you know, this, this, the Mandalorian is basically kind of like Boba Fett. I mean, the whole reason there's this show exists is because people love Boba Fett so much. And Boba Fett is in, like, seven minutes of the original trilogy and has, like, five lines. And his appeal is basically that he's so mysterious and you don't know everything about him and there's not a ton of character development. And so I feel like maybe it would be kind of, you know, not true to that whole character or that whole appeal if if he was really – if there was a lot of character development, if you knew his whole well, backstory in extreme I, detail.
3: I, st- I mean – we. I still think that you can have a kind of cryptic or, or mysterious character and still build elements like, so you can kind of chip away at the sides, you know, all right, well, we know that his parents were killed by droids in the clone war. Um, You know, we know that at some point he lost his armor, right? Or at least the Mandalorian culture did. We know he's never shown his face to anyone. These are like little things that they've built up, but, those to me seem all very superficial and generic. And I wanted to see something very personal. I wanted to see why, why does he spare the baby? I mean, maybe it's because he identifies baby Yoda. Like he sees himself in baby Yoda and say, Oh, you know, I was an abandoned child, which I think is what they were going for. But like little things like that, where I just wanted to know more of him personally. And right now, he seems a little too generic for me.
0: Well let me say so so I, I think the issue I, I think it would be a mistake for him for the Mandalorian to be well developed, because I think he's more interesting as a sort of enigma. But then the issue, as everyone's pointing out, is that nobody is really well characterized. Mm-hmm. And so I think what this show maybe needs is like a, a like a Watson kind of character. So like Sherlock Holmes may That's uh, what remains. I said.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry.
0: Uh, sorry, sorry, Aaron.
1: Um, <laughs> no, I'm just agreeing with you emphatically. That's exactly what it needs.
0: Um, yeah, yeah. So, like, and I think, I think maybe did you say, Aaron, that maybe you wish that the the young um, bounty hunter had stuck around, and he maybe could have become that sort of character. Like, we need someone who's like
1: we need a foil. we can
0: relate. Yeah, we can relate to and who's well characterized and whose motivations and backstory we we understand and relate to and know. But I, I think, it, yeah, but it shouldn't be the Mandalorian, in my opinion. Yeah.
3: Well, I, you were talking about Firefly before, and I think, you know, the strength of Firefly is just the banter between all the characters, and in that banter, you learn so much about them. And because the Mandalorian's so quiet, and half the time he's with Baby Yoda who doesn't speak, we're not really getting any of that, of his character. So it's just, it's all this big question mark, which, that we're all just projecting our own version of the Mandalorian, which, which can, works to an extent. I'm not saying that I want to know like every, you know, everything he did for this last 40 years of his life. I just, just a little bit more as to who he is as an individual. That's all.
1: I, I agree with that. And I think, but I think so to to go back to what we were saying before about, about having this and whether, you know, I, I'm not saying that it should have been that junior bounty hunter character, but somebody who plays that same role that I referred to earlier of the, of the, the junior gunslinger in, unforgiven it's it's through I thought
3: Cara Dune I thought the the woman from the the uh, farming planet Cara Dune I thought she was gonna oh now she's gonna be traveling around with him like I thought it was gonna be like him picking up characters along the way to which is the which is
1: the way to do it in my opinion because like like Dave said I think it is important and it's it's part of you've got a guy who's gonna spend his entire on-screen time behind a mask and so absolutely lean into that and have him be, and it fits with the Western tropes. Have him be inscrutable, um, and and a man of few words. But then you need to fill in the blanks somewhere. And and even if those blanks entirely consist of having a bunch of people around doing the Morgan Freeman, what the hell is going on in your head right now, anyway? Having them kind of yeah. bounce off him in a way, and and reinforce the the sort of uh, two dimensional quality that he's bringing. By having a, You need to have three-dimensional characters around him to make it clear that that's a deliberate choice and that this is a fundamental part of who he is and not just lazy writing. Um, and I, I think it's doable, but I do think that he needs to have a, a Watson. He needs to have somebody who can, in those moments where we need a little bit more interior monologue than we're ever going to get, when we need somebody on screen to be like, should we really be handing in Baby Yoda or something just to emphasize those points? Um. I think there needs to be that in order for us to we don't have to understand him, but we do have to attach to him somehow, even if it's via a third party. Yeah,
0: so um, yeah, so I think we have basically solved the issue with this show. So I hope that the creators of Star Wars are listening to this like they obviously listen to our solo panel so that, uh, you know, we can uh, get this all straightened out for season two. But I uh, I still maintain that this show was a blast uh, and I loved every minute of it. Um, and we're pretty much out of time, so um, I don't know. Does anyone have any uh, any other final thoughts to throw in here at the end? So uh, Raj, any final thoughts?
2: Looking forward to the second season, and uh, you know, I, I, I thought the other day that one cool thing that they could do that would harken back to the original trilogy would be to go back to Dagoba at some point. But yeah. um, yeah, yeah, that would be cool. Yeah, but I'm looking forward to the next season, which I guess won't be out for another e- almost a year. But um, I really enjoyed it.
0: Um, Aaron, final thought.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to season two. As I said, I felt like it, the show started to hit its stride toward the end. Um, And that's fairly common in a pilot season overall, I think. So as much as I had a sort of mixed response to this first season, I, I am optimistic about season two. And if for no other reason, there's just such an amount of talent assembled on screen and behind the scenes for this project, that you have to think that they're going to come up with something that's uh, you know if they have a little bit more time to find a rhythm and and make the the total more than the sum of its parts um that something great's going to come out of it
0: and matt final thought
3: uh yeah you know um i agree pretty much with uh both with what Aaron and raj said it I, you know i'm excited about season 2 i think that season 1 had enough promise um extremely high production values that um I'll definitely be watching two when it comes out.
0: All right, cool. So we have spoken.
3: So, uh,
1: <laughs> you were just waiting for that.
0: I've <laughs> <laughs> been waiting 90 minutes to say that.
1: Yeah.
0: All right. So, yeah, but so we, uh, we have spoken, in fact, with Aaron Lindsay, Rajan Khanna, and Matthew Kressel. So thanks, everyone, so much for joining us.
1: Thank you.
2: Thank you.
0: Thanks. And that was our panel. So big thanks again to Aaron Lindsay, Rajan Khanna, and to Matthew Kressel for joining us on the show. And remember that Geeks' Guide to the Galaxy is made possible thanks to support from listeners like you. So if you enjoy the show and want it to continue, please sign up to give us a dollar or two per episode over at patreon.com slash geeks. And if you'd rather make a one-time contribution, you can do that via check or PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. So big thanks again to everyone who's contributed. We really appreciate it. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time.